Hi, my name is Alvin. I'm a discipleship and Mandarin service pastor here at HCBB, and it's my privilege to share with you from God's Word today. Have you ever felt abandoned? I remember my friend sharing me uh, this story. Uh, some details changed, of course. So my friend used to play the cello back in secondary school when he was around 13 to 14 years old. So one Sunday afternoon after practice, my friend was uh, waiting outside the school for his parents to come to pick him up. But they were running late and uh, time just kept dragging on. You know, he watched as car after car passed him by, hoping that the next one would be his parents. But after waiting for more than an hour, everyone else had already left and even the guard looked like he was about to pack up and leave. Of course, back then, there were no handphones and my friend didn't have any money to use a payphone. So he started getting worried that his parents had forgotten about him and he was so upset and disappointed. Finally, he decided to pick up his heavy cello and walk home by himself. He was clutching it super tightly, ready to whack any bad guys with it. And after walking for about half an hour, under the hot sun, a car slowed down and stopped next to him and rolled down the window. And who do you think it was? It was Nick Fury. No, of course, it was his parents. His mom apologized for forgetting about him and asked him to get into the car. And that's when he got really furious. Now that they had admitted that they had really forgotten about him, he was really mad at them he felt completely betrayed. So he didn't get in the car. He just kept walking. He walked and he walked until finally he started to feel bad for his parents, constantly asking him to get into the car. So eventually, he gave in and got in. But throughout the whole journey, nobody spoke a word. Can you imagine the tension in that car. Once they got back home, my friend went straight to his room, slammed the door shut, and didn't come out for the whole night. He felt like his parents had abandoned him, and he didn't know if he could trust them ever again. I wonder if you've ever felt abandoned like this before. Maybe you felt abandoned by your friends. Maybe you felt abandoned by your family. Maybe you felt abandoned by God. You know, maybe you experienced the, the presence of God. You know, you felt that surge of intimacy, but the feeling didn't last. And after a few weeks, it all disappeared. Maybe you really tried to pursue God, but life just keeps getting worse and worse. Maybe you really tried to listen to the voice of God, but you still can't hear anything. Maybe you really tried to overcome that one sin that you're struggling with, but you didn't feel God's help. Today, we're starting a two-part series on being mad at God. We'll be looking through the Psalms to see how people express their anger and disappointment at God. And today, we'll be looking at Psalm 22. The psalm is quite long, and uh, I encourage you to read the, psalm, the read the psalm in its entirety. But for today, we'll be looking at some key snippets of the psalm, 
and some key points that we can learn from it today. So the psalm starts this way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. So here we see the psalmist, most likely King David. He feels forsaken, abandoned by God. God feels far from him. Even though he promised to be with him, to be near him, he calls out to God by day and by night. But even as he calls out, God seems silent. He does not seem to answer. The psalmist continues, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So not only does he feel abandoned by God, he feels that he's the only one abandoned by God. He's been left alone. He looks around and he sees the people around him enjoying the blessings of God, the presence of God. They experience revival. But though he tries so hard, he doesn't enjoy any of these. This makes that feeling of abandonment by God cut even deeper and even more intense. And here, at this point, the first point I'd like to make is Jesus understands. Jesus understands. Now, I wonder if you found the first line of the psalm familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We heard this line from the mouth of Jesus. He famously quoted this while he was being crucified on the cross on Good Friday. In other words, if anything resonates with you in this psalm today, Jesus has prayed this psalm with you. Jesus understands. The great theologian Jürgen Moltmann says, when God becomes man in Jesus of Nazareth, he not only enters into the finitude of man, the, the limitedness of man, but in his death on the cross, also enters into the situation of man's God-forsakenness. In Jesus, he does not die the death, the natural death of a finite being, but the violent death of a criminal on the cross. He, the death of complete abandonment by God. The suffering and the passion of Jesus is abandonment, rejection by God, his Father. God does not become a religion so that man participates in him by corresponding religious thoughts and feelings. God does not become a law so that man participates in him through obedience to a law. God does not become an ideal so that man achieves community with him through constantly striving. He humbles himself and takes upon himself the eternal death of the godless and the godforsaken so that all the godless and the godforsaken can experience communion with him. I don't know what your relationship with God is like today. Maybe you feel very far from Him. Maybe you feel like 
You've been calling out for God for a long time, but God does not seem to hear you. Maybe you used to be close to God, but He seems to have given up on you. Jesus understands. Jesus felt that Himself on the cross. And we, we can honestly pour out our hearts to Him by day and by night. He will not refuse us because He Himself had experienced the abandonment of the Father. So the first point here is that Jesus understands. The next point here is don't give up on God. Don't give up on God. You know, there's something very interesting about the psalmist and, and Jesus, which I'm not sure you know this. They feel that God has abandoned them, but they don't stop calling out to God. You know, isn't that interesting? They may feel that God is absent, but they don't give up calling to Him. And you know, my suspicion is it's because they know that even though God seems to have abandoned them, even though He may feel absent from them, God actually isn't absent. He actually hasn't abandoned them. He is actually there. Now, some of you may know I have a seven-month-old son. You know, recently, he's been trying to figure out object permanence. So, what is object permanence? Bing Chat says that object permanence is the understanding that objects continue to exist even though they cannot be sensed. And this is considered an uh, important developmental milestone for babies. And they'll develop this understanding by the time they reach two years of age. Now, of course, my baby is now nowhere near two years of age. So he's struggling a little bit with this concept, no matter how much I explain it to him. So when he sees me, he's really happy. But sometimes, when I sit down on the toilet bowl and I'm out of his line of sight, he starts to wail. So then I'll call out from the toilet bowl, I'm here, I'm here. But he continues to wail until I'm done with my business. And then I stand up from the toilet bowl. And then once he sees me, he's happy again. Until I go and wash my hands. But, you know, he's slowly starting to get it now. You know, I wonder if we are sometimes like this as well. You know, when we sense God, when we feel Him, when we experience Him, when we can see Him working so clearly in and through us, all is right with the world. God is amazing. I can't wait to know more and serve more and be in church more. But once He's out of our line of sight, once something comes and blocks our view of God, it could be sin or Satan or just distraction, when we struggle to feel Him, when we struggle to experience Him, suddenly, we're not so sure where we stand with God. Perhaps we start to doubt. Was what I felt and experienced in the past really God? If it was, then where is He now? And we wrestle with that until the next time we see God or experience Him or feel Him again. Doesn't that sound familiar? You know, sometimes we wonder, why do we have to go through all of this? Why can't God just always obviously be there? Wouldn't that solve the problem? But what I realized is that what if those seasons are actually necessary for us? What if it's because we need to learn 
God permanence? What if you know, this is a developmental milestone that we need to hit in our spiritual and faith journey? Maybe if we never had those seasons, we'll never grow up and mature into the kind of people of faith that God wants us to be. People with that kind of faith that knows that even when I can't see Him, even when I can't feel Him, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Fearless faith warriors can only be formed in the jungles of God's silence. And if you are in that jungle right now, don't give up on God. And that's what King David and Jesus did when they felt that the Father had forsaken them. They didn't give up. They were real with Him. They prayed to Him honestly, like a child pouring his heart out in front of his Father. You know, there's pain in their hearts, yet there's a continued longing and faith. In their pain, their only way is back to the Father. Even if they seem to be just beating the air, they insist on pursuing the presence of God. Although they may have felt like God had given up on them, they did not give up on God. Isue in Kozi says, this documented, honest cry of, of King David feels like an irreverent prayer. But echoed by Jesus, it sets an example of what it looks like to be in relationship with God. Truly transparent, not hiding anything. I am at my holiest. Not deceiving or pretending to be something I am not, but acknowledging honestly my uncertainty and my pain. So if this is you today, you can be real with God. You can release to Him everything that's honestly in your heart. All your disappointment, all your anger with Him. Persevere in that. And you might realize that once you've done that, persevering in seeking God, that He might not be that far away after all. So firstly, Jesus understands. Secondly, don't give up on God. And finally, God can turn this around. God can turn this around. Verse 6 says, But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. And I wonder if you feel this way, like, like a worm and not a man. You know, this might be a feeling we feel or a circumstance that we're in. But for Jesus, this was his mission, to humble himself to the lowest depths in order to redeem us from the lowest depths. You know, the word worm here in the Hebrew is tola, which means worm. But it also means crimson or scarlet. In fact, it specifically refers to an insect that becomes a red dye, commonly believed to be the, the Kermes echinatus. The insect is it's dried, then ground to a powder, cooked in water, then strained to form this uh, red blood-looking dye. 
And that is what this psalm points toward. Jesus, scorned by everyone, despised by the people, crushed and emptied out until all that was left of him was his blood on a cross. A worm and not a man. But he goes through this not just so that he can identify with us when we feel abandoned by God. No, he goes through this so that we can experience what comes after that as well. Resurrection and restoration and victory and redemption with him. You know, after all the doom and gloom, verses 22 to 24 of Psalm 22 suddenly says, I will declare your name to my people. In this assembly, in the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And the psalm ends this way. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So if there's anything that this psalm and the cross reminds us, is that the desolation is not the end. The resurrection is coming. You know, Pete Gregg says that when Jesus quoted this psalm on the cross, he knew that its opening cry of despair concludes with a cry of victory. You know, the similarity between these last four words, he has done it, and Christ's last three words, it is finished, is striking. It seems that Jesus recited the psalm in its entirety from why have you forsaken me to it is finished. Perhaps even here, in the agony of the cross, it told him that something new was being born. So if this is you, if you feel abandoned by God, if you're disappointed with Him, if you're angry at Him, if you are in despair, Jesus understands. Don't give up on God. God can turn this around. Something new is being born. Let us pray. I invite you to stretch out your hands like this, close your eyes, and then pray with me this ancient prayer. Come, Holy Spirit.
as I was praying, the sense that I get that perhaps some of you, you're struggling with doubt right now. Perhaps you are doubting, is God even real? Maybe that's something that you're struggling with in your faith journey. Maybe it's something that you never thought about before, but circumstances in your life have led you to ask this question to yourself. Is God even real? And my challenge to you today is to be real before God. And the sense that I have is that if you are real before God, then you realize that God will be real before you. He will show himself real before you. So if that's you and you like prayer and uh, you have questions about God and how real God is in your life, uh, feel free to scan the QR code, hit it to our website uh, and say, I would like some prayer and we'd love to pray along with you. As I'm praying, another sense that I have, another word that I got is drift. Maybe some of you who are watching this, you are disappointed or angry at God and your response is you want to run as far away from Him as possible. Maybe some of you are, who are watching this, what you're struggling with instead is perhaps shame or guilt. You don't want to face God and you want to run away from Him. Maybe for some of you, you're in a place of victory. You're in a good place. But in that place, you're struggling to feel the need for God. And if that's, if any of those is you, the challenge, the call is to return to Him. To come close to Him. And just speak to Him. Speak to Him. Could be a request that you want to make of Him. Or it could be just a response of praise that you want to give to Him. And in the silence of this moment, and in your heart, or even in your mouth, just speak to God right now. And my prayer is that as you speak to Him, you will sense His presence and His closeness and His voice speaking to you as well. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time that we can come close to you. We thank you that you're a God in whom we can be authentic and real and just genuinely pour out everything that's in our heart to you. Whether it's praise, whether it's doubt, whether it's anger, whether it's frustration with you, you call us to come to you in the genuineness and authenticity of our hearts, that you are a God big enough to take 
whatever that's in our hearts at you. And Lord, we just pray that you give us the boldness, the courage to pray these possibly sounding irreverent, irreverent sounding prayers to you. But prayers that are real, prayers that are genuine, so that we can also open up ourselves for you to be real to us and to be real with us. Thank you for being a God who wants us to be real with you and also wants to be completely and totally genuine and real and authentic with us as well. Such a precious gift that the God of all the earth wants to be in such an intimate and close relationship with us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.